All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here with us. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I want to start out with a true story. I think I shared it one, one time, maybe a couple years ago, but I love this story. Uh, it's a story about a little girl by the name of Ruby Bridges. She lived in New Orleans. Uh, when she was six years old, a federal judge said that schools in that city could no longer be segregated. They had to be integrated. And so no longer uh, could, uh, could, they, could schools be based entirely on people's backgrounds, colors of their skin, ethnicity, or whatever. And so the day when little children would be separated uh, by that kind of stuff was over. Almost all of the white parents in New Orleans in that day decided that if they were going to let black kids into the schools, that they'd keep their kids home. By the way, I might, I might add a moment of disgrace for white people, right? Just unbelievable. Well, not only did they, they keep their own kids home, but many of them also said that if, if any black children actually came, they'd be in big trouble. And so the black children generally stayed home too. In fact, everybody stayed home in this particular school except for Ruby Bridges. Every day, six-year-old Ruby would kiss her mom and her dad goodbye. They would march off to school. Only instead of her going by herself, she was escorted by two federal marshals in front of her and two federal marshals behind her. They would box her in and escort her uh, in, and out, uh, in and out of school every day. She needed them because they, she had to walk through a heckling crowd into an empty school building. She was the only one that went to school. She had to walk through a crowd of people day in and day out that would shake their fists at her, a six-year-old girl. They yelled at her. They called her names. They threatened her and her family if she kept coming to school. But every morning at 10 minutes to 8, Ruby would walk past all those people with her head up, her eyes straight ahead. She walked into that empty school building to learn, and then she went home. And she repeated this day after day after day. Now, what's amazing about her story is not just that she kept coming, but that's amazing in itself, right? (laughs) Little tiny kid, unbelievable, jaw-dropping sort of courage just to show up. But what's even more jaw-dropping is how she did it. One school teacher described uh, what she saw in Ruby, and she said this. She said, I saw a woman spit at Ruby, but miss. And Ruby just sort of, with, with grace and mercy, just sort of smiled at her. I saw a man shake his fist and yell at, at her at the top of his lungs. And she kind of paused and just, and just sort of returned a, a look of kindness to this man. She walked up the stairs through the mob and she stopped at the top of the landing and turned back out to the crowd and she sort of smiled at them. And then like, not meanly, but just sort of kindly and then walked into the building. She told one of the federal marshals uh, that she prayed for those people, those people in the crowd. She prayed for them every night. Every night before she goes to sleep. Can you imagine? I mean, again, six-year-old girl kneeling beside her bed and praying, God, would you help those people that are angry at me? God, would you bless them? Would you help me? Would you draw them close to you? Draw me close to you? Would you help me to represent you well? And the next morning, this little six-year-old girl would get up, kiss her mom and dad goodbye, and, and repeat this thing all over again. I mean, imagine being in her shoes. An angry mob shows up day after day shouting out hateful comments, spitting at you, calling you names, threaten- and threatening, and they would do much worse if those federal marshals weren't there. And yet re- repaying them with kindness, treating them with grace. I read that and I think, man, I'm not sure I'd do that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not positive that I could react that same way before a mob like that. 
And it, I found myself wondering as I, as I uh, hear stories like that, what gives this little girl that kind of courage? Right? What in the world makes that little six-year-old girl unshakable, right? Before a mob, before a crowd like that. Well, there was a Harvard psychiatrist named uh, Robert Coles who actually asked the same question in that day and age and ended up going down to New Orleans. He interviewed uh, Ruby, interviewed her family, interviewed uh, neighbors, co-workers, you know, not, not co-workers, but uh, neighbors, schoolmates, all that kind of stuff all the way around her to try and figure out the answer to that question. What makes this little girl the way she is? How can she stand up so boldly uh, before a crowd like this? It's fascinating. He wrote a book called The Moral Life of Children. And in it, he did this, this non-believing Harvard psychiatrist describes and answers the question of what he found, what his research found about what makes six-year-old Ruby Bridges the way she was. He says this, if I had to offer an explanation, I think it would start with the religious tradition of black people, which is of far greater significance than many white observers have tended to allow. He says, in home after home after home, I've seen Christ's teachings, Christ's life connected to the lives of black children by their parents. Such a religious tradition connects with a child's sense of what's important. As anyone knows who's been in a black church and seen people's looks of pain give way to a look of hope. Fascinating. This Harvard psychiatrist comes down to New Orleans to look and to, to, to try and check out what makes this girl the way she is. And all he, come, all he can come up with is he steps back and he says, you know what it is? I think it's Jesus, he says. I think it's Jesus. He's what's making the difference in this girl's life. That's where her boldness comes from. When she bows down and prays every night, she rises ready to stand, he says. That's what makes her unshakable. Jesus is what makes all the difference in the world to her. And I have to say, I read that and I, I think about that and I think, I agree. I, I think that's, he's absolutely right. I think kneeling down in prayer like that, surrendering to Jesus, a, a worldview that is shaped and consumed by Jesus is what allows her and allows us to stand up and to stand out and to stand strong. We are on our fifth and final week of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite uh, called Unshakable, Standing Up in a Bowed Down World. In this series, we've been walking through the biblical book of Daniel, the, the, the first six chapters, and we've been kind of looking at unshakable faith and learning lessons about how we can stand in the midst of a culture that is often swept away uh, uh, and, and does not stand or does not, uh, uh, does not tend to go along with the ways of, of, of Jesus, the, the ways of God. Throughout this book, we've been learning to stand up and sometimes even stand out for Christ in his kingdom, even when it's not popular, even when it would be so much easier just to blend in and to go along with the crowd. So today, as, as we wrap up the series, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. It's a story about Daniel and the lion's den. Some of us have heard this or read this before, uh, but fascinating, great story. And uh, I'm just going to, as we have been doing every week, I'm just going to kind of read through the text. I'll make a few comments as we go, but we're really allowing the text to kind of speak for itself. And so we're just going to read through uh, Daniel chapter 6. Just a reminder of where we've been two weeks ago we, when we ended Daniel chapter 5, the first five chapters, there is a king that has been on the throne of, of, uh, of Babylon. He's been in charge of Babylon. Who, what's the king's name? Anybody remember? Nebuchadnezzar, right? At the end of Daniel chapter 5, he is dethroned, right? He is killed in his sudden, uh, sudden invasion by the, the Medes and the Persians. And there's a new sheriff in town. Daniel chapter 6 is where we start. And King Darius is now in charge. 
And uh, he's known as an administrative genius. As soon as he comes to power, he sort of reorganizes the kingdom, sets up 120 administrators to protect against rebellion and to watch over the financial affairs of the kingdom. Daniel is now in his 80s. He's kind of an old man in this, in this day and age. Uh, and he's been walking with the Lord a long time. He's one of these administrators. In fact, he's one of three sort of supervisors of administrators. And that's where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says this, It pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps or administrators to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was... uh, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Can I pause there for just a second and say, man, may that be true of us. Isn't that cool? Even if people are looking, looking for a reason, just give me a reason, right, to undercut you, to say bad things, to whatever about you, that they could find nothing. We'll we'll, we'll see this later, but there's a direct connection, right, between Daniel living uh, this, this life Uh, to please the Lord that is upright in heart, that is unshakable and courageous in standing on God's truth, on living for God's truth in sort of a, uh, not in a perfect way, right? He's not sinless. He screws up like the rest of us, but in a way that the trajectory of his entire life has been about conforming to God's plan and God's word and God's direction and living to please one. There's a connection between uh, God's desire, uh, God's supernatural work in his life and this sort of, um, this sort of uh, integrity of heart and life that Daniel lives with. It's cool stuff, but man, may that be true of me. May that be try, true, true of you, right? I mean, it's just such a cool picture. So it says they could, they could find, even though they were looking for it, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will, never, we will never find any basis for charges against him uh, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went up uh, as a group to the king, and they said, May King Darius live forever. Right? Suck-ups. <laughs> the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, we've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. Now, you see what's going on here, right? Daniel is about to get promoted. He's about to become CEO of the land, right? It's, it's a good promotion. He's going to be put in charge of the entire land. And how do the other, how, does, how do his peers, the others in his similar job, how do they feel about that? They're jealous of him, right? They can't stand it. Why is he not fair, right? I've been doing the job longer. It should be me. Like, whatever, right? I mean, like, it's not fair. They're jealous. And so they think, we're taking him out. 
We're going we're gonna to undermine them. We're going to undercut them. They can't come up with any rational way to do that. No, nothing based on his performance or his integrity or anything like that. They're like, the best shot we got of getting rid of this guy is if we can, if we can convince the king to make a law that stands opposed to his God. Because we know he, he'll stand with his God. We know what choice he's going to make. So they, try to, they start scheming about how to take him down. And I have to say, man, I'm not sure politics has changed all that much in the last, what, four, five, six thousand years. It's pretty much that way today as well. Here's the first thing, as I was thinking about that this week, here's the first thing uh, that kind of lesson or, or, or thing I just want to mention. As I studied Daniel chapter 6 this week, I, I was just thinking, expect a battle, right? Expect a battle. Anytime that God raises you up, anytime that God blesses you, anytime God gives you a new opportunity, there is one that will try and knock you down, a spiritual enemy. And most commonly, he'll try and knock you down by, through other people, right? And we've seen, all of us have experienced this, have we not? Try and get knocked down. I was, I was thinking this week about 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, who puts it this way, and it's particularly appropriate for uh, the Daniel story today as well. But uh, God says this, he says, be alert and of sober mind for your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion and he's looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith like a roaring lion. Right. (laughs) Interesting. Seeking somebody to devour. And I'm like, yeah, I think that sounds about right. But man, I have seen this hundreds, probably thousands of times. Every single time, for instance, that we do an outreach push as a church. Right. We start seeing spiritual attack like this kind of stuff. In fact, you guys will think I'm making this stuff up, but we'll start getting hate mail. We've gotten phone calls on the church answering machine. People that will call up and like cuss us out. I kid you not. Cuss us out on the answering machine. Slam down the phone kind of thing. It, 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 like I said, you, you'll think I'm making this stuff up, but it, it's happened consistently. There will be uh, suddenly conflict with people for no reason, right? There's all this kind of stuff going on. It's to the point where even our kids recognize it. We'll be like, we'll be like what is going on? They'll be like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, five days to Easter or so, you know, whatever it is. I mean, they'll be like kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, I mean, it, it's a real thing. And, and, and I'll tell you what, we've got this. Uh, so often it seems like in the little, our little Christian subculture, we've got the opposite picture in mind. Like if, real, if we're really following Jesus, everything should be smooth sailing, right? There should be no opposition. It should all be magical and rainbows and unicorns, right? It should all, it should all be awesome like that. That's, we seriously think that. I'll hear people say, they won't say it quite like that, but, but that's what they're hinting at. Oh, if they're, you know, this, it was too hard. I'm just not so sure it's from God. Like, are you kidding? Are, are we reading the same Bible? I mean, this is, think about what the primary story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. Is Jesus' life all rainbows and unicorns? This is about a God who chose to give up the comforts of heaven, of being, the, some of the perks of being God so he could come to earth, so he could live and give his life for others. So he could die a horrible and painful and excruciating kind of death. Is this rainbows and unicorns? Now, there's the flip side, right? As a result, he is exalted back up to the right hand of the Father. He reigns. He rules supremely forever. But it is not just an easy, straight path. Sometimes, I think we're, we're dumbfounded when hard things happen. And you know what? From a biblical perspective, from, even from, I think Daniel would agree, man, we should be expecting battle. Anytime God's, God is raising us up and growing up, anytime there's a step of faith that we're taking, anytime we're, we're, we're taking new ground, we should be expecting 
opposition because we have an enemy that would love nothing else than to take us out. Now, in all fairness, if I can just say this, to balance this, because sometimes we talk about the enemy and we kind of think, oh man, he's scary and whatever. From a biblical perspective, he's a toothless tiger, right? He's got a good roar. He's great at talking trash and speaking lies and putting crap in our heads. But we are reminded that Jesus has stepped on his head, right? We're, I mean, that's, it's, it's over. He's defeated. He just doesn't know it yet. There is nothing to fear. The one we serve, the one we follow, the, right? the one who rescues us from the fire and from the lion's den is stronger and bigger and more powerful. He is able to handle anything that gets thrown our way. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So first thing, right? Expect attack. I think it should become, uh, become normal for us to be looking. We shouldn't be surprised. I love the way First Peter puts it. You know, it's, it's sort of a, a picture of expecting opposition, but being prepared and standing firm in the midst of it. It's exactly what Daniel's doing. Let's go verse 10. Keep going in the story. It says, Now, uh, when Daniel learned that the, dec- that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where his windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. What's that last part say? Just as he had done before. I'll just say it one more time. Just as he had done before. I have to say there's an entire sermon in this one verse. This is great stuff here. But uh, just as he had done before. Yes, expect opposition. But this is about being prepared, right? This is not something that like we wake up one day and uh, we've done nothing in preparation. And all of a sudden that's pulling us up by our bootstraps and strapping on supernatural courage and strength and facing the, you know, the, the lions uh, of injustice just on our own. That has nothing to do with what's happening in Daniel. Daniel, uh, we talked about in week number one. Right, remember that whole story uh, from the beginning of Daniel where he resolved that he would not defile himself. You guys remember us talking about this? He was resolved. He made decisions ahead of time of what he would do and what he would not do. He made a decision ahead of time and said, I will not defile myself by eating this, uh, this food that has been un- that's unclean, that's been sacrificed to foreign gods. He's like, no, I'm not doing it. And I will stand opposed to that. Right? He, it's, it's, it's part of how he stood is because he decided ahead of time what he would and would not do. Well, apparently part of what Daniel had decided ahead of time is that he'd pray. Like he would develop the spiritual workout, the spiritual uh, development plan, if you will, or whatever, of that he was going to lean, lean in on and depend on and pray to God, not just occasionally, but he was going to do it three times a day, morning, noon, and night. He was going to continually seek God. He was going to get down on his knees. He was going to turn his face towards heaven in Jerusalem, which is, there's a link, but I'm not going to get into it. But like, he's turning his face towards heaven, and he's crying out for the living God, I need you. I, I want you. What, what would you have me do? How should I stand? What should I do? Would you intervene on my behalf? Or he's pouring out his heart and life to God. So I find it fascinating that when this, when this happened, this law came in, uh, he doesn't go and get all political, right? He doesn't send letters to his congressmen or anything and say, man, you, you need to work on my behalf kind of stuff. His, his instinct was to hit his knees. Why? Because it's what he'd been training for. It's what he'd been doing day in and day out. He's 80 years old. How long do you think this, this discipline has been in place for him? Decades decades he'd, he'd been practicing because he decided ahead of time man prayer is where it's at prayer mo- moves the hand of god 
And when God moves, ain't nobody getting in his way, right? That's where it's at. That's where. So he had decided ahead of time, man, I'm going to become a person who relies not on what I can do, not on what my congressman can do, not on what other people can do. I'm going to be a man that relies on what God can do. And so he's prays, he prays, and he prays. He doesn't like, when, when this happens, he doesn't go up and like live stream it to Facebook. He doesn't put on a big show. He just does what he's been doing. And I have to say that that honors God, right? It honors God, but it also prepares us to be able to stand just as he had done before. I, I had said this before. Go to that next slide if you would. The time to prepare for battle, the time to prepare to face lions is before, right before you're there. It's before. We're there. Let's hit the next one too. And this is, this is sort of the big picture for the day. This is what I just kept thinking about over and over and over again. Kneeling down is the key to standing up, right? When you look at Ruby Bridges, when you look at Daniel, when you look at pretty much all the, all the heroes, quote, quote, of the Bible, this is where it comes from. It, it comes, again, not from our own strength and us being exceptional people and all this kind of stuff. It's not about us, right? We've been talking about this every week through the book of Daniel. Who's the hero of the story? Is it Daniel? Who is it? It's God. He's the one that rescues. He's the one that intervenes. He's, he's, the, he's the hero of the story. And so he's aligning himself with God in this. The key to being able to stand, even when it might cost you your life, the, the key to being able to stand, even in a culture like Babylon, that is trying to just wash us away, wash us downstream, and trying to get us to adopt the values of the culture rather than stand on the values and the truths of God's word. The key to all of this is kneeling down before God in prayer and in surrender, keeping our lifeline with him, saying, would you feel me? Would you direct me? Letting his word wash over us and remind us of what is true and how we are meant to live, right? It is when we kneel before God that gives us the ability to stand with him and up for him even. Amen? Amen. He was resolved ahead of time. He's able to stand because he put this, this practice in place, this holy habit in place of praying, of, of regular connection with God. Sometimes I think uh, I'll hear people say, well, I don't really have a regular time with God because I just, I just pray to him all the time. We're just in constant conversation and whatever else. And, of course, that's good, and the Bible tells us to do so, right, that we should uh, let our prayers be unceasing, right, kind of thing. Of, of course, that's a good thing. But sometimes I think it's kind of a cop-out. <laughs> Because we, if, if we don't plan regular times with God, oftentimes we just get swept away by the busyness of our culture, the busyness of our world, the busyness of our day. And I'm preaching to myself here too, right? I mean, I, I th- but I think, man, putting these habits in place, these disciplines in place, for some of us, depending on our personality style, that we like cringe when we hear that word, right? Discipline, eh, you know, like I don't want that. Like I'd rather just kind of go, but man, this is, this is where the good stuff is at choosing to put those patterns, those habits in place so that we can stand when the trials come. Let's keep going. Verse, uh, verse 11 says this. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about this royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? 
And the king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. By the way, do you think he'd forgotten? <laughs> no, this is just their little way of saying, eh, he's not doing what he's supposed to be, kind of thing. Next verse says, uh, Then they said to the king, Daniel, uh, one, uh, the, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort to do so until sundown. Verse 15, Then the men went uh, as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, no decree and no edict that the king issue can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Fascinating, by the way. Now you've got the king who doesn't even believe in this God basically praying on Daniel's behalf. May your God, whom you serve continually, may he rescue you. And I have to say, uh, I'm going to say a couple things. First thing, I'm, I'm going to kind of go backwards and then I'm going to come back. But first thing that I just find, found myself uh, thinking about this week is, man, if Trump made a law today that says you could no longer pray to your God, to anybody but him. And I have to say, it's probably not too far-fetched to imagine this. But, but let's, let's, say, right, let's say that he made a law that said, hey, there's, you can't pray to anybody but me. And uh, if you are, you're going to be killed. You're killed on the spot. What would you do? I, in, in my mind, I have to say, I know what we'd like to say, and I think that's what we often come up, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But I have to say, when I look around at the prayerlessness around us and the prayerlessness even in us, I have to say, I'm not sure it'd be that much of a change. I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure that we would... Uh, that we would be willing to live and lay down our lives for prayer or for that connection to God if we're not, if we're not devoted to it in, in our lives, right? It's one thing to say, oh, we all die for that. But if we're not willing to live for it, then what are we doing? How, how do we expect that we should be able to stand if we are not on our faces, on our knees before God on a regular basis? There's something, there, there, there's something, uh, something here that I, I just think, man, we need to, we too, like Daniel, need to make some decisions, I think. Maybe we need to make some resolutions and say, I am resolved. You know what? This is not how I've been living, but I'm going to, the sun is not going to go down on a day without me on my knees before God. The sun is not going to go down without me opening up God's book and hearing from his, his words to me. Again, not in a legalistic kind of way, but in, in a way that just says, man, I'm going I'm to build this pattern into my life so that when the, when the trials come, and they're coming, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? The trials will come. But so that when they come, I can stand with God so I can stand before my king so that I can follow and live in my king as well. I wonder if there's something that God might be saying to us today about that. Just say, maybe some of us, maybe all of us need to say, I resolve. Here I stand. I can do no other, right? I resolve. I'm going to seek God. 
I'm going to make that a priority. It may, maybe it hasn't been, but I need him. I, there's something even, I, I mean, it talks about him on his knees, right, before God. And I think there's something about postures that matters too, right? There's something I think even powerful. Uh, I like to pray sometimes on my knees. It's just sort of a, a humbling. It's a reminder of just saying, God, I need you. I'm completely dependent on you. You're my God. I'm going to follow you. That's the first thing. The second thing, kind of, kind of jumping back forward, uh, is, uh, I mean, I, I think sometimes as well, we can, I don't know, we come from all different kinds of spiritual backgrounds. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? Some of us come from no church background. We've never been in church before. Some of us, uh, you know, maybe when as a kid, fell away or whatever. But some of us have been in Sunday school, and, and we've heard the stories. We saw the flannel graph version of Daniel in the lion's den, right? We saw the little, little pictures in the coloring book or whatever it was. And we've kind of sanitized our picture of what this whole thing is like. Uh, and I just want to say, make no mistake, about, I, I had a video I, I didn't end up using, but of, of a real lion, because some Sometimes I think we we make this into a nice little story in our heads. Are you kidding me? Like, have you like have you seen lions? Right? Like, have you heard them roar? They, their roar can be heard for five miles. When a lion roars, it's like, <laughs> right? I mean, they rip into their prey. And and when we're, when we're talking about this this era in human history, they would keep them in a pit and they they keep them they'd feed them enough to keep them alive, but just barely. So they were hungry. They were ready. This was clearly a death sentence, and Daniel's an 80-year-old man. I mean, it's not like he's thinking, yeah, I'm muster up my strength and take that line, you know, take those lines. I mean, it's not, that's not what's happening here. He knows. The king knows, right? It's a death sentence. That's why the king can't sleep. He's, that's why he's, he's like almost praying. I mean, kind of just like, I hope that your God's able to save you, he's saying, because this is a death sentence, and yet Daniel is willing to stand. Man, how we need that kind of courage and that kind of confidence in God, that kind of like resolve once again. Here I stand. I can do no other. Let's jump ahead. Verse 17. I hope your God can rescue you, the king, the king says. Verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. He's thrown into the lion's den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that, Daniel, uh, so that Daniel's situation might not change. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace. He spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He gets it. It's a big deal. Verse 19, at the light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When, the, uh, when, the, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lion's? Verse 21, maybe the coolest two words ever. Daniel answered, right? Daniel answered. Why? Because he was alive. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any, any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God, it says. Now, I love this. Was Daniel's God able to save him? 
Yeah, right? Of course he was. Oh, absolutely. God, again, is the hero of the story. He's able to close the mouth of any lion. He's able to rescue us from any pit. He's able to answer any prayer. He is able to provide exactly what is needed. Daniel was lifted out from the den, and it says no wound was found on him. That takes us back to a, a couple chapters ago. Remember Shadrach and Mo, right, when they're thrown into the fiery furnace? And uh, the king says, the king says, <gasps> Weren't there three men I threw in the fire? And they say, I see a fourth, and he looks like the son of God, right? And so he calls the three out, not the fourth. He calls the three out, and, 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 and it says, Not a hair on their head was singed. Their robes were untouched. It says, they didn't even, they didn't even smell like smoke, it says. It's the same kind of language that's saying here. It wasn't that Daniel came out. He was alive, but he was all scratched up, and there was wounds on him. So they took a look. They're like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's in perfect health. It's not like God saved him a little bit, right? God saved him completely. He rescued him. He shut the mouths of the lions and he brought him out of the pit. That's some good news. I mean, I think, I think sometimes some of us actually might be in a spot these days where we feel like, man, we've been thrown in the pit. The, the, the stone has been rolled across the entryway and we are stuck down there and it's not looking good. We might feel like the weight of desperation is on our shoulders. The weight of depression is on our shoulders. We might feel like there is no hope. And maybe we need to be reminded today that there is a God that, that saves completely. A God that is able to close the mouths of the lions. That is able to pull us up out of the pit completely unharmed. Is that good news? Yeah. Do we need to be reminded of that sometimes? I think so. And I love... Uh, I mentioned this before, but man, I, I do think it's cool. God rescued him completely because he trusted in God, because he put his faith and trust in God. There's something connected about living a life full on honoring to God, right? Not perfectly. We screw up and we talked about a couple weeks ago, I put that meme up, right, of what we think success looks like, the straight line versus what success really looks like, right? And it's like this, but it's that, that up and to the right. It's, it's living a life continually like, God, I want to follow you. I want to know you. When I screw up, you know, you come back and you say, God, would you forgive me and cleanse me? And then would you lead me forward from here? But just a continual trajectory of that, a resolve of that for days and weeks and months and years on our faces before God, on our knees before God for decades, right? We continually see this blessing and this favor of God. Not that everything works out all hunky-dory and unicorns and rainbows. No, of course not. We've talked about that. But there is something to be said about the, the favor of God that rests on us. He was rescued from the lion's den because he trusted in his God. There's a connection there. And I love uh, how the story ends with God once again being exalted by a pagan king, if I could say that. But listen to this. Daniel 6, verses, uh, starting verse 25, says, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the people of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. Verse 26, I issue a decree that in, uh, that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And it ends with this, verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of uh, Cyrus the Persian. 
Again, incredible proclamation of praise here from a king who didn't know Daniel's God but recognized his handiwork. He is the living God, he says. He endures forever. He rescues, he saves, he performs wonders and miracles. He's a pretty good God. And this is in Daniel prospered and experienced God's blessing under King Darius as he had under Nebuchadnezzar before him. Doesn't mean it was smooth sailing. No, it doesn't mean it was easy all the time. They walked in between raindrops. But consistently, he experienced God's smile as Daniel walked with and followed his God. I think there's something cool about that too. Again, just a, a picture of a God who, who desires to bless, who desires a good path and a good plan for you. A God that desires to show you his goodness and his glory and, and wants to put you on a path that will be unlike anything else. He wants to show you life in his kingdom. As we wrap up the series today, I just want to stop and just sort of ask a question of, do you know this God? Are, are you walking on that path with God? Are you, uh, uh, are you resolved to grow in him, to seek him, to walk with him. Again, not just, not, we're not talking about just coming to church or doing the church thing or whatever, but resolve to live a life with God, right? To resolve to come to know him, to, to, to have relationship with him, to talk with him and pray to him and hear from him and follow him and, right, orient our lives to him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for relationship with you. Amen. I'm telling you what, if, if the, if the real answer to that question is no, I'd encourage you today, before the sun goes down, that you would resolve, you'd stop and pause, that you would get down on your knees, open up your heart and life, just even your hands. I do this sometimes, just the way I say, God, I surrender. And just, just, just pray to God, just say, Jesus, I need you. I don't, I don't want just religion. I don't want to just whatever. I need you and I want to follow you. I want you to be my God. Would you, would you reveal to me, would you show to me who you are? And by faith, would you teach me to, to know you and to walk with you and to trust you and to follow you? Would you come and save me and be my savior? And would you be my God? And with your help, I want to follow you from this point forward. If you've never done that, man, it's a best thing you could ever do. It's been like 20 years since I, I did that for the first time. And I have to say, man, best moment of my life. It changes everything. If you've never done that before, man, I'd encourage you to do it today. For others of us, maybe we've made that commitment. But if, if we're honest, our, uh, our spiritual growth might have shot up. And it's kind of plateaued for a long time. And maybe today, God is saying, you know what? It's time to make some resolutions to say, you know what, I, God, I need to get back into the simple things, the simple habits, holy habits of coming to know you. I'm not going to let the sun go down without opening up your book and, and, and trying to hear from you. I'm not going to let the sun go down without me hitting my knees and turning my face to you and praying and connecting and listening, bringing the, the stuff of my heart and my life to you. You are the one I seek. You are the one I want to follow. Maybe that's what God's saying to you today. Maybe you're in the lion's den in one way or another and the pressure's on and it's looking bad. And maybe today you need to turn your face towards the living God and remember that he is a God that rescues and saves. He is able. Now, he doesn't always work. He's not like a genie in a lamp. He doesn't always do exactly what we want him to do. But he is able and he has good plans for us. 
even when it's hard. And maybe today you just need to be to turn back to him and say, God, I need you so much. Some of us might be in a lion's den of our own making, and we've, we're in this lion's den because we've been walking away from God. And that's not what the, this story is not about, uh, you know, is not about uh, us being strong enough to stand up to things when it's of our own making. That is not what this story is about at all. But maybe today we need to be reminded that, you know what? We do need God. And maybe it's time for us to turn away from this direction and be going, turn back to God and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? I've screwed up. I've, I've, tried to, I've been trying to make this all about me when this story that I'm living in is all about you. Maybe it's time just to hit our knees before God and say, God, would you forgive me and cleanse me and wash me? Teach me how to kneel before you so that I can stand in the battles that are coming. Friends, I don't know uh, what God might be saying to you specifically today or what the application is specifically, but my prayer for us as a church is that we would be people that kneel before the king so that we can stand before the world, so we can stand before whatever lions we're facing. Let's close in prayer. God, that is our cry. Uh, And so often it seems like we get it wrong. We... uh, we stand in opposition against you and get swept away by the uh, tides of this world. Would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us, God? We turn to you this morning. We open up our hands and our hearts and we just say, we need you. God, for the battles that are before us, the ones we don't even know about yet, we need you for dealing with our own sin and our own addictions and our own ruts our own dysfunction, our own junk in our lives. We need you. For the ways that we don't want to live disciplined lives, we, just, we want to choose the easy path and we want to go, go our own way. God, even there, we need you. Would, you. would you help us to walk the path of kneeling, of humbling ourselves before you that you can lift us up in due time? Would you teach us to, to choose the path of bowing before you so that we can stand against the lions that we face? Would you bring discipline into our lives? Would you teach us those, those rhythms of bowing before you every day, of opening up your word and drinking in your truth and letting it shape us and change us? Would you... Would, would you help us to put those things into, into practice in a trajectory of growth and in our relationship with you so that we can know you more, so that we can walk with you more, and so that we can stand with you more. Oh, how we need you, God. And maybe in the most important <laughs> battle of our lives, Lord, the battle for our eternities, we open up our hands and our hearts and we say we need you. Would you come and forgive us? Would you come and cleanse us? Would you come and be our God? Lord, as a church, we just ask that you teach us uh, how to bow before you so that we can stand with you forever. Thanks for being that rock that we can build our lives on, the steadfast one, the faithful one, the good God. We love you, we need you, and we just lift these things up to you, Lord, in Jesus' name.